Hey, thanks for tuning in to the First Monroe podcast. For more information on our church, visit firstmonroe.com. We hope you enjoy. All right, if you have your Bible, you can turn or click to 1 Peter chapter 5. You can turn or click to 1 Peter chapter 5. We've been in a series titled Exiles, just walking through the book of 1 Peter. And so we are going to finish today. Hallelujah. It's been a good study. It's been a good book. I hope you've enjoyed walking through 1 Peter. I know we've taken several breaks along the way, but we will finish it up this morning. Quick question this morning, just by show of hands. Who in here likes to wear new clothes? Okay. I figured everybody's hands would be up. Um, Man, isn't it just something special about wearing something new? You know, whether it's a new shirt, new pants, new dress, new shoes, new hat. There's just something special about wearing something new. I, it, it's almost like it just gives you like a new sense of confidence, doesn't, you, doesn't it? Some of you are like, not really. Well, may, maybe, maybe it doesn't for you. But for me, if you it, it, just put it on something new, it's like it just makes you feel like a million bucks, even if it costs $5. You know what I'm saying? It just, you put it on something new and fresh, you're like, man, this is, this is awesome. It's kind of like the old mantra in sports. If you look good, you play good. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I think, think some guys here are going to do like some basketball stuff. I, I'm not going to be able to do it, but I, I said if, if I sign up for basketball, I'm getting a shooting sleeve. I'm getting like leggings. I'm gonna have a headband on. Like I'm gonna look good when I play, whether I play good or not. Not sure, but it's this whole mantra: if I look good, then I'm gonna play good. There's just something about clothes and putting on certain clothes that makes you feel confident. One of the things that Peter's actually gonna do in this passage is he's actually gonna tell us that if we're gonna be faithful as we live out, this kind of like his final words: that if we're gonna be faithful in the world that we live in, you and I need a new set of clothes. Now, he's not speaking physically of a new change of clothes, but what he's speaking to is a new mindset, that one of the things that we need in this world, if we're going to be faithful, is we need a new way to think. So if you take notes this morning, here is the main idea that we'll see coming out of the text, and it's this, that in order to remain faithful, we must clothe our minds with the right attitude. And this is what he gets at, really, in this whole passage, is that if we want to be faithful in the time that we live, that we must make sure that we clothe our mind with the right attitude, that we have the right mindset. And one of the things that you've noticed in Scripture is that mindset's super, super important. Actually, in Proverbs, it says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is, or so that he does. So mindset's extremely important. And one of the things that he wants to make sure for these believers, because they're suffering greatly, that if they want to be faithful, then they need to make sure that their minds are focused and centered on the right thing, that they're focused, that their attitude is on the right place. So we'll see this morning, he actually points out several different new clothes that we need for our mind that we'll look at. But let's read the text, and then we'll jump into some points this morning. We'll start in verse 5, and then we'll read through the rest of the chapter. And it says this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble humble yourselves before and under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He might exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 
To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Bosylvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace be to all of you who are in Christ. When I apply verse 14, I just want you to, hopefully you're sitting by somebody you like, okay? As you greet someone with the kiss of love. Just kidding. I, I'm not going to cover that. I'm not going to cover that, so you don't have to worry. We're, we're not going to touch verse 14, so you don't have to worry about who you're sitting beside. But hopefully you do like the person you're sitting beside. In this, he actually lays out four different things in the text of different attitudes or mindsets that you and I need to adopt as believers if we're going to live faithfully in this world. So I've, here they are. Number one, and I've kind of written them as action words, and it's this, be humble. Number one is to be humble. He starts out and he actually begins to speak toward the relationship between the church and those within the church. Last week, if you were here last week, we addressed awkwardly as y'all just sat and listened to myself preach to myself last week on pastors and elders and shepherds within the congregation. And so he, he transitions from that. He says, you who are younger, be subject or be submissive to the elders or the leadership of the church. As he moves from that, he says this, clothe yourself, all of you. Now, it brings about this word picture of this idea of clothe yourself, of, of a servant putting on an apron or a servant putting on like a certain uh, garment in order to serve well with. So he says, clothe yourself. And he says, here's what you're to clothe yourself with. You're to clothe yourself with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And then he repeats himself. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So here's what he's saying for all of us, is that if we are followers of Jesus, what we are to clothe ourselves with is humility. Humility is this picture of lowliness. One of the definitions that I, one of my favorite definitions is a definition by Tim Keller. And he gives this definition of humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, degrading yourself, nor is it thinking more of yourself, pride, but rather humility is thinking of yourself less. So it's not degrading yourself or, or diminishing yourself. That's still very prideful and still very sinful. It's not thinking really highly of yourself because that's pride. That's also sin. So he says what humility is is actually not even thinking of yourself at all. It actually is this lowliness. It's this place of a servant which we see displayed perfectly in the example of Jesus that he didn't consider equality with God. And he came and became a servant here on this earth to serve you and me. So it gives us attribute of this is what God loves. Look, look what he says he says this, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know a great way to stand in opposition to God is be proud. What God it says what he gives grace to is those of humility, of those who walk in humility, but those who walk in pride says that God stands against them. And here's what he says. He's not saying that we are to stand in humility before God, but he says you are to stand and walk in humility toward one another. It's not just with God that I'm to be humble, but also with one another. And it's this ability that we are to clothe ourselves with to be humble. I remember this, this time in my life where I, I remember there, there are certain times maybe in our life where we've been humbled by something. I remember one of the times we were, I was in college. It was my senior year in college. I was taking a victory lap because I didn't take care of my stuff, and so I had to go for a little extra time in college. And as I was taking a little extra victory lap, I said, well, I can leverage this. And so I, I went on a mission trip to Honduras. So there were my friends. We went on a mission trip. And so we hiked in these remote villages of Honduras. And as we were there, I remember really some of the first time in my life to really see poverty up close. 
You know, there's poverty all around us, no doubt. But when you go to these third world countries and you begin to see these villages and these places and how really a lot of the world lives, it, it, it has this humbling effect on you when you begin to see this with your own eyes. I remember when I returned back from Honduras, I was staying at a friend's house um, where I was living. And I remember I walked into my room and I immediately walked out of my room. I walked into the bathroom and I remember when I, when I walked into the bathroom, I fell directly on my knees and just began to weep. Like I remember it was just this, it, for me, it was, it, as I look back on my life, it was one of the most humbling moments of my life because I was like, my, my closet is full of clothes. I got an extremely comfortable bed. I have a TV in my room. I have instant hot water. I have a f- pantry full of clothes. And I was like, I just left a place of extreme poverty. And I was like, and I remember I just fell on my knees and just began to weep. And I remember I, I was like, God, I am so unworthy of any of this. Like it was, just, it was just this moment in my life where I really came to myself. Where I was like, man, God, why do I have any of this? Like it was this most humbling, just uh, just recognizing and seeing it. And I would say this, and I think this is something healthy for all of us, that there need to be moments and times in our life where we are humbled to, so that it begins to affect the way that we live our life. Like I'll give you this, this practically for all of us. You would say, well, oh, James, how do I clothe myself in humility? How do I clothe my mind with humility so that I begin to walk that way with others? I would just give you this quick recommendation is this, is that on a constant daily basis, you need to remember constantly what God has done for you. The more you remind yourself of what God has done for you, it will produce within you humility and then will enable you to walk with humility toward one another. Because here's the reality. You know your salvation? You had nothing to do with it. Scripture is very, very clear in Ephesians that you are saved by the grace of God. He says it is a gift of God, and he says this, that no one can boast. None of us, as we respond with faith and repentance to the gospel, none of us can take claim to our salvation at all. So here's what he's saying. There's not a single believer that is to walk around in any pride or any boasting because you did nothing to save yourself. You can't walk around and be proud and act holier than thou. Why? Because you did nothing. He says everything of salvation was God's work in your life. And so you, there's no reason for you to boast at all. So one of the things is to remind ourselves on a constant basis, or to say it this way, I think Jerry Bridges says this way, to preach the gospel to myself every single day to remind myself that I had nothing to do with this. That this is God's doing in my own life and to remember that it is all by grace that I didn't, grace is God's unmerited favor toward me and that I did nothing to achieve it. So I can't boast about anything. Not only with salvation, but also let's just think about life. To think about any fruit that would ever come from my life, anything that I may do, talents, abilities, guess where those came from? God. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we looked at the parable of the talents. To remember this, any talent or ability you have, you know know God gave you that? That you can't boast about the talents and abilities you have? Spiritual gifts that you have? The Spirit gave you those? Even think of the fruits of the Spirit. They're not the fruit of James. They're the fruit of the Spirit. So think about like, like, just think about all of life. Like this was, this was humbling for me this week to think like, think of all facets of the Christian life. I have no reason to boast at all. And one of the things that he's saying is, and I think this is that if we are constantly reminding ourselves all that God has done for us, in us and through us, I can't take any claim to it. I can't be proud about any of it. And here's what that produces. Not only do I begin to walk humble before God, but also begin to work that way with each other. To begin to think I'm not better than you and you're not better than me. Actually, what begins to happen is I begin to tend to more of the needs around me than my own. 
And here's what he's recommending for all of us as we live out in the church is that we are to walk with this humility toward one another. That we're not to be boastful, we're not to be proud, we're not to exhibit this in our life, but we're to clothe ourselves, our minds with humility. Number two is we are to pray always. Number two, we are to pray always. Here's what he says. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that in proper time He might exalt you. And it says, verse 7, casting all of your anxieties on Him. It's this idea of casting, of bringing or throwing something off. It could be clothes, it could be a burden. It, it speaks to this idea of throwing something onto something or someone. And it brings about this idea that you are continually, not once, Not a one and done thing, but this continual action of casting and throwing your cares, your anxieties, your disappointments over onto the Lord. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but it is very discouraging in our world, isn't it? Like, have you ever noticed how easy it is to be anxious? Or how easy it is to worry? Or how easy it is people are prone to depression in our world? You know, one of the things I was thinking about, uh, I think this is a natural, and this is why many times the Scripture tells us not to worry, not to be anxious, because it is a tendency that every one of us have. That we have this tendency to overthink things. We have this tendency to take our future in our own, own hands. There's this tendency we have to worry, be anxious, depressed over circumstances and things within our life. And so as we think about that, one of the things I was recognizing is think how, how it paralyzes you when you are constantly in this. If you're constantly worried, if you're constantly anxious, if you're constantly depressed, if you're constantly having these thoughts all the time, here's what it, it has this ability to paralyze you. Actually, this is why Jesus addresses this in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, you know, where he tells us not to worry because the reality is you can't trust God and worry at the same time. You can't do both. You either trust God or you worry. You can't do them at the exact same time. And so one of the things that he tells us often is to not worry, to not be anxious because it paralyzes us in being faithful and it paralyzes us in Walking after the Lord. And here's what he says, is that it is almost like this weight. And he says, here's what you are to do with this weight. You are to cast this weight, because think about it. Anxiety, depression, uh, any of these worry, this thing, it feels like a weight. And here's what he's saying is, throw that on the Lord. Like some of you this morning, as you walked in here, you walked in here with tremendous weight on you. Now you may not stand up and like say, hey, that's me. But when you walked in this door, you walked in with a tr- tremendous weight on your, either on your mind or your heart. Things in your life, circumstances in your life. Maybe you're thinking of, of different things that are going on and it's causing anxiety and worry in your life. And here's this awesome thing that he tells us is you as a believer are to constantly come to God in prayer because you can actually throw that off onto something, actually someone, which is Jesus. I love this. This is in Isaiah. He speaks and prophesies about Jesus coming on the cross. Listen to what he says. He, talking about Jesus, was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. As one who men hid their faces, he was despised, we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our grief and he has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted, and he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities and upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds you have been healed. Let me just say this. Aren't you glad that you have a Savior that is powerful enough to candle any weight that you may have in your life? Any anxiety that you walked in here with, any depression or depressive thoughts that you've had, or any anxiety or worry about your life, the future, someone in your life? Like, praise be to God that we have a Savior that is powerful enough that says, throw them on me. I'll take them. 
My burden is easy. Throw off the things that you have and I'll take it. I love this beautiful picture as on the cross that he's able and powerful enough to bear and to handle the things that we have in our life. Look, let me just say this. I, look, look, counseling and those things, man, are, are a wonderful tool that God has blessed us with. There are resources that we have available to so that, nowadays that is so wonderful of where if we need help, if we're working and through things, whether it's with a pastor, whether it's with a counselor, like these are so wonderful. And let me just say this, and I affirm all of that. But understand, first and foremost, our defense against these things is to pray always and to throw them on the person who can actually take them away. And that's Jesus. But here's what I love is that the passage doesn't just say that he's powerful enough to take them, but he also wants to take them. Look what he says. Casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. What a truth. Not only can he bear them, but he wants to. Isn't that crazy? He can and he wants to. He actually says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Here's what I'm very thankful of. I'm very thankful God's not like me. Because this would annoy me a lot. Here's this situation that goes down often in our house. Almost every night. And it's wonderful. It's a blessing. Children are a blessing from the Lord. That's why I just I remind myself often. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Every night we usually get chapel down first. Chapel's easy, and he just goes down instantly. And so we, we place him down. He goes a bit early. Piper, not so much. And so Piper, one of the things that she's kind of gotten this routine of where she says before she wants to go to bed, she wants to go lay in mommy's daddy's bed, and she wants to watch Play-Doh. I don't know if you've noticed this, parents, if you, how this thing caught on. This has nothing to do with my sermon. But they, they make these YouTube videos of, of people playing with Play-Doh or toys, and kids are just mesmerized by them. I don't know. And they're making tons of money off of it anyway. But she'll want to watch Play-Doh, and so she'll go lay in our bed. And so immediately, Kirsten and I, when we go in the den, we yell, we're free. And so we celebrate that we're free. The kids are back there. We can watch TV. We can talk, whatever. And so there's this thing that always happens. We're watching a movie, watching TV or something, and immediately we'll hear in this very sweet, annoying voice, and it'll be Piper, and she'll scream, Mommy and Daddy. And immediately when she screams this, usually Kirsten and I look at each other, and we go in this long debate about who's going back, you know? I'm like, I, I went last time, so it's your turn. Or I went last time, so it's your turn. And so, you know, begrudgingly, we just get up and, you know, what she wants is she always says a good one. The, the one she's watching isn't a good one anymore, so she wants another one to watch a good one. And it's this constant thing. Like, she'll probably do it four or five times a night. And by the last time, you're just, like, totally fed up with it. And you're like, all right, TV's going off. Like, we're done. And you just kind of get mad about it. And I was thinking about this text, and I was processing that, of thinking, man, I'm so thankful God didn't respond to you and me, like I would respond to my own children. Because many times when my daughter, and she is beautiful and sweet, and man, she is so precious, I thank God for her. But there's a lot of times where as a parent, I get fed up with her constantly whining and wanting me. Her mama gets constantly with her always wanting her. There's this constant thing of like, hey, just, just quit being needy. Like, just stop. Like, just, just, just be yourself. Don't need us. Just go in your room and just play by yourself. And so sometimes, as a parent, that just happens. Just confession. And so it's like one of these things But I'm thinking, like, God doesn't respond that way. Like, to think about this, you and I are very needy people. And to think about this, he, he instructs us to pray often, to constantly come before him and lay upon him our burdens, our worries, our disappointments, our cares. And he says it's because he cares for you, meaning this, you can come anytime, any day, any day of the week, and you can constantly cast your cares and he cares for you. 
He will not get aggravated with you. He will not get disappointed with you. To me, that blows my mind. I'm like, God, thank you that you are not me. Because I would get fed up with people constantly coming to me with all these needs and wants. But yet God says this, not is he only able to bear our needs, but he wants to. He wants to come and he wants because he cares for us. So one of the attitudes that we are to adopt is to pray always. Third is this. Third is to protect your mind. Peter now moves into this idea of defense mode, that we are to stand guard because we have an enemy. And this enemy actually wants to attack us, and so we must be on guard. He says this in verse 8. He says, be sober-minded and watchful, meaning be self-controlled in your thinking, be vigilant on your thoughts. And here's why. He says, because the adversary, your adversary, the devil. Let me just say this. Do you know that you have an adversary? You know what that means? You have an enemy. Like you have someone that's literally opposing you all the time. Paul actually says something that, that helps us in this. He says this, for, he says this in Ephesians 6. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He says a lot of times the struggle and the things that you walk through in your life aren't actually physical. They're actually spiritual. In Revelation, it says this, and understand there's a lot of weird pictures in Revelation, so I'm not about to unpack that this morning. We don't have time for that. But I just want you to listen to this. It says this, And the dragon, speaking towards Satan, saw that he had been thrown down to earth. He pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child, but the woman was given two wings of the eagle, so it might fly away from the servant to the wilderness. And it speaks of escaping. And in verse 17, it says this, Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring on all those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Meant to make war with anyone who professes obedience or alignment with Jesus. That's strong language, isn't it? It's not just something that, that like, he, he, he has a specific task, even though we know, and we'll see this in a second, we know that he's defeated, yet he still makes war with any of those who claim to know Jesus. I think there's this tendency in our world, and I think, there, I think we need balance, that on one side of this thing is that there's somebody who just ignore Satan altogether, of just like, oh, it's not real, it's just fake, whatever, it's just, it's not existing. That's a dangerous, actually, Satan wants you to be over in this place. He wants you to forget he's there. He wants you to forget that there's nothing you have to be worried about. It's all physical. There's nothing spiritual taking place. There's also on the other end where he gets so glorified where everything literally becomes Satan or demonic. And so it's not, it's not this where he becomes glorified or where he's forgotten, but it's this healthy understanding that many of the struggles and things we walk through in this life are because we have an adversary. We actually have an enemy that is actually seeking to harm us and seeking to in a sense, prevent us from being faithful. He actually gives us a very good picture of this, and he says this, here's what it's like. He says, the devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, for most of us, I'm going to show a picture or a video in just a second, but for most of us, when we think of a lion, we just think of the zoo, because that's probably where we've seen a lion. These people would have a very clear picture of a lion because many of these people, if you remember in the Roman Empire, they would be fed to lions and to animals. And so for many of them, as they're using this example, many of them were actually destroyed and devoured by a lion. So this is a very clear picture for them as, as, Paul, or excuse me, as Peter uses this. But just for our sake, I think we have a video. I just want visually for us to see what he's talking about.
Shane wouldn't let me show the rest. My, my vote was to show a little more just so you get the effect. But Shane wouldn't let me. Those lines weren't playing around. They had a very clear purpose. And their purpose was to kill that animal. Did you notice how it began to sneak and prowl and then all of a sudden at the last moment possible it surprised it and actually did this surprise attack to surprise it and kill it? Now, it doesn't show it on the video so you don't have to worry about that. I, I was thinking about this and about this picture and I'm so thankful that our God has overcome anything of the evil one. That we know this, that at, at the resurrection there was a, a very big pronouncement that the enemy had lost that victory is in Jesus, and we know that, and actually we've actually seen that in the book of 1 Peter. He reminds the believers to understand that like their days are coming, so you don't have to worry about that. But also in the meantime, what he is reminding of those, in the meantime though, yes, greater is he that is in you that is in the world, but also remember that there is an enemy and he is out to get you. He actually tells us this, that you need to resist him standing firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering is being experienced by your brothers throughout the world, meaning this, that a lot of the suffering that they are incurring is because of the enemy. He says this, here's how you're to do. You are to resist him, you, and it's similar to in Ephesians 6, Paul says to stand firm in the Lord, firm in your faith. And I would say this for a lot of us, is here just, just in, in our short time, I just want to give you one recommendation for how, how do we stand against the, these things? How do we stand against the enemy coming against you? you? You know what I found out? That one of the easiest ways the enemy loves to come at you is your mind. That's the most vulnerable place that he can attack you is your mind. Think about this. Think of, of Genesis chapter 3. Do you remember when he tempts him? What does he do? He just puts a thought in their head. Like he's really good at this. He's really good at accusing. He's really good at beginning something in the mind. And one of the things I think that needs to happen is that you and I, if we're going to live faithfully to know this, that we have an enemy that is wanting to destroy us, then we need to be sure that our minds are protected. We need to make sure that the things that we think, the things that come into our mind are godly. So here's, I'll point you to a scripture. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 4 through 5 says this, The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but our divine power to destroy strongholds. And let me just say this again. I want to affirm this again, so please don't take me out of context. Counseling and the things that we have, talking with people, resources that we have are wonderful. But notice what Paul says. Here's how you destroy spiritual things with spiritual things. He says, here's how you destroy strongholds that come against you. He says, we destroy every argument, every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus. Paul actually tells us in 1 Corinthians that you have the mind of Christ. To say this, that any time that, that these thoughts or these things come in you, that you remind them and you take them captive under the obedience to Jesus, these have no place in your mind. Uh, to go back to casting your cares on it, what do, you, what do you do with them? You throw them on Jesus. Anyway, Jesus can overcome, He can bear the things in our life, and so we are to constantly do that. I told Shane this, I had something else, and I'm going to just go with it, right? Okay. You know another way to defeat the enemy? is praise. You know, one of the things I've noticed is that times in our life where we feel overcome, there's a tendency for us to stop praising. There's a tendency for us to not open our mouth and not to utter out praise. You know what I love? You remember when Paul and Silas were in prison? You know the one thing they did? Praise. I think this is, well, if you go back in Ezekiel and you can read about 
Satan when he was cast down. You know, he was like one of the chief people that used to bring glory and praise to God. That's what he was intended for. You know, one of the things that he does not want you to do is to praise. One of the things I think that's a powerful tool, not only in taking thoughts captive, is to praise. To constantly begin, whether it's in singing or if you're like me and you can't sing very well, just begin to just say it out loud. To begin to sing out praise, to begin to recite all that God has done for you. This is a wonderful weapon that you and I have in our tool bag to defeat and to come against the enemy against us is our praise. So let me just give a recommendation and then I need to move to number four. This place, every single Sunday, should be the loudest place possible with people lifting up their voice. There's so many people that when they come to church, they never open their mouth and they act like God has never done anything for them. If God has done something for you, then let Him know. Open up your voice, even if you can't sing. That last song, I've never heard it in my life. But I sang. Why? Because it's true. This is all of us. Whether you like the song or don't like it, whether you know it or whether you don't, whether it's old, whether it's new, you and I are to open up our mouth and sing. This is something I... I'm about to get into a tangent. I just need to go back to number four. He wants you to not open your mouth. He wants you to not praise because He knows the deadly power that it has to Him is when you begin to praise and lift up your voice and begin to sing, man, the... the, Oh, man. Thankfully that God has given us the tools necessary to defeat the evil one against our life. We need to use them. Number four. Number four is be filled with hope. Lastly, number four is be filled with hope. He, rem- he reminds us this, and the last thing is that in all of this, one of the things we are to constantly clothe our mind with is hope. If you remember, these people are suffering greatly. It already says this, the same kind of suffering that you are experiencing or being exper- experienced elsewhere in the world. And then he says this, I love this, verse 10. He says, and after you have suffered for a little while. Paul actually echoes something similar to this. He says that, that, that our afflictions are but for a moment. It's just for a moment. Just momentary. He says, though while the suffering may last for a little while, he says, it's the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Jesus will himself restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you. And then to remind you where you're going, to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. And one of the things that he begins to recite over and again is to remind them the hope that they have to look forward to. No matter what may happen on this earth, no matter what suffering they may experience on this earth, even if they lose their life, to remember that they have hope. He actually, at the very, very beginning of 1 Peter, he reminds us that because of the resurrection, you and I have been born again to a living hope. You and I have hope, so he's trying to remind them no matter what you face in this life, One day He will restore everything. He will confirm everything. He will strengthen everything. And He will establish you in kingdom, in His kingdom, dominion forever and ever. Amen. He begins to speak of this, that one of the things that you and I are to be is to be filled with hope. And let me just be honest with you. Sometimes that's hard in our world. That's hard. Our natural tendency is probably not to be hopeful. That's why we need to be instructed to be filled with hope because that's not our natural tendency. As we struggle, as we live in this life, we are to be filled with our hope. There's a story, it's one of my favorite stories uh, that I learned when I was in seminary. And it was the story of Polycarp. He's an old, ancient church father. And he was about to be martyred in Rome. 
As he was about to be martyred, he was captured and he was sentenced to trial. And as he was on trial, this awesome account that takes place in Polycarp's life, he is entering into Rome. It says, it says, Polycarp was taken into the arena. A voice came to him from heaven, says, Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. No one saw who had spoken, but our brothers who were there heard the voice. And when the crowd heard that Polycarp had been captured, there was an uproar. The guy who was coming to prosecute Polycarp came before him and said, basically tried to persuade him and said, I have respect for your old age. He says, repent and say that you reproach Christ and I will set you free. Polycarp looks at him and says, 86 years I have served him and he has never done me wrong. How can I, how can I speak against my king and my savior? The guy began to threaten him with animals, most likely lions. As he says he wasn't afraid of any beast that would be let loose, he then threatened him with fire and said, I will burn you at the stake. Polycarp at this hour actually says, I'd rather burn for a little while than burn for eternity. Polycarp then prays as he's standing on the stakes. They're getting and assembling everything ready to set him on fire. And he prays this, O Lord Almighty, the Father of your beloved and blessed Son, Jesus, by whom we have received the knowledge of you, the glory, the God of angels and powers and every creation and all of righteousness who lives before you, I give you thanks that you count me worthy to be numbered among your martyrs, sharing the cup of Christ and the resurrection of the eternal life, both soul and body through the immortality of the Holy Spirit. May I be received this day as an acceptable sacrifice as to you, the true God. You have predestined and revealed to me and now fulfilled it in me. I praise you for all these things and I bless you and I glorify you along with the everlasting Jesus Christ, your beloved son. To you with him through your Holy Spirit be glory now and forevermore. Amen. Right when he said amen, they lit the fire. Actually, they said this. Everyone that was in account that stood there said a miracle happened and the fire actually began to form in a ring. It actually began to circumvent him, and actually he was not burned by the fire at all. The soldiers were so mad at him that they began to pull out their spears, and they ended up killing him with their spears. One of the things that this story that has reminded me of, and it's this amazing account of Polycarp as he's about to be martyred, and one of the things that always marvels me and always just makes me stand in wonder as I read this story is the confidence and hope that this man had in one of the most horrible places anyone could ever be. They're looking at him and, and in a sense telling him, you need to renounce Jesus. If not, you will be destroyed either by animals or by fire. And in this moment, he stands with complete confidence and hope. Yields his life to Jesus. I think for all of us in this life, it's hard. There are many, and we've said this a couple weeks ago, there are many people all over the world that are facing persecution every single day. It may not be persecution in your life, but our life and life here on this earth many times is hard. And one of the things that you and I can never forget as believers is that we and I, you and I are to be filled with hope. No matter what we face, no matter the hurt and pain that comes in this life, because of Jesus, because of the resurrection, you have a living hope. And you are to live in it. You can have confidence just as Polycarp had to know one day he will make it all right. One day I will reign with him forever. And as we finish the book of 1 Peter, that's in a sense the theme that runs through the whole book. No matter what you go through, you have hope in Jesus. This morning, would you be filled with hope? Let me pray. God, I thank you.
Jesus, because of your life, because of your death, because of your resurrection, we have life in you. And you've reminded us throughout 1 Peter that we have actually been born again to a living hope. God, so many times in our, in our life and in our world, it, it seems hopeless. God, there's death and there's sickness. There's pain and there's hurt. There's betrayal. There's persecution. There's just so many things that are filled, that just evil within our world that, God, frankly, just makes it hard to be hopeful. Lord, I thank you that above all of that, above all the circumstances, above all the things that we can face, that God, because of your son, that we can be filled with hope, that we can have hope, that we can actually live and walk in hope, even despite our circumstances. God, I pray this morning, Lord, if there's someone in here that came into this place with a burden, God, that came into this place feeling attacked by the enemy, that came into this place filled with worry or anxiety, came into this place hopeless. And Lord, I pray that they would come to you. Lord, I pray that they would experience you, God. I pray they would begin to cast their cares and their things of their life onto you. And that, God, you would begin in your power to restore them. God, save them and rescue them. And God, remind them that they have hope in you. God, I love you. And God, I love your word. And God, I thank you how you've given it to us to instruct us on how to live. God, you are so good to us. God, may we just live faithfully. God, is an act of worship and praise and sacrifice back to you. Holy Spirit, I pray during our time you would lead, you would direct our steps as we respond to your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This time we're going to move into an invitation. And let me say this. I'll be down here to pray. I obviously will be ready to pray. Um, after we end the service as well. But like, I, I was thinking about this as we think about burdens, anxieties, all these things that come on. Like, there are some of you that this is you. Like, you came in with these things. I, I hope you heard very clearly, you don't have to leave with them at all. Even if you're in this place and you don't know Jesus, you can know Him today. That He will take your sin, He will take your shame, He will take your grief, and He will be able to bear it. And He will save you and rescue you today. And so my recommendation for you as we respond this morning is if something is, even if it's the enemy, look, there are people that we'd love to pray for you. Pray for God's protection over you. But my prayer is that you would respond. If you need prayer, come. If you want to come down here, if you want to stay where you are, if you want to grab somebody, to say, hey, would you pray with me? It could be something even simple. Or it could be something that's really big that's in your life. But, but like, one of the reasons why we gather is to be uplifted, to hear God's word, to praise, but also so that we may, as family, pray for one another. We don't want anyone to leave this place with burdens that you came in here with. That you would come in the presence of Jesus and your burdens would be lifted.